This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's going on? You are listening to Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. Now, what does don't at me mean? Okay, so here's the deal. You may or may not know, but I made a film and then a television show called Dear White People. Critics liked it. Audiences seemed to dig it. But uh, a few people on Twitter and in every single comment section on the internet really, really, really had a problem with the title. (laughs) And that's actually where Don't At Me comes from. You see, Don't At Me is what you say on Twitter when you want to voice your own personal truth, perhaps a controversial opinion, and you don't want a bunch of random people jumping down your throat in your mentions, adding you. So that's where we get the name from. This is a safe space, if you will, for me and creatives and just people that I'm interested in to have a free-flowing conversation, an unfiltered conversation where we get to let our guard down and tell our personal truth. You got it? All right, here we go. Don't at me. Now, being black in general is, yeah, it's kind of a mindfuck, <laughs> but doubly so when you're an actor, because not only are you dealing with the slings and arrows of a society such as ours, but frankly, you got to draw from it and pull from it on the on a dime and sort of bring that to bear in all of your performances. Uh, and so it is in this milieu of very complicated black feelings <laughs> that I had a really amazing conversation with uh, two very gifted actors, Marquis Richardson, who you may know as Reggie on my show, Dear White People, and Kayleigh Stewart, who you might know from Soul Man, Hot Tub Time Machine, her long-running role on My Boys, or just Instagram if you're into amazing people. So I really, really wanted to talk to these guys, um, not just about their lives as, as black creatives, but also how they transform into their characters. Now, Marquis, I've gotten to see him do this up close. Uh, many times. He's an amazingly gifted person who really just embodies the soul of his characters, um, particularly Reggie, who I've obviously gotten the chance to work with him on. And now, Kayleigh, I just really got to discover her, her history and her motivations during the course of this interview. But boy, did I walk away completely inspired and uh, with so much admiration for her and uh, how she approaches her work. So listen, without further ado, let's get into it. Don't at me. You're listening to Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. We're going to have a really good conversation. <laughs> it may not stay anywhere near the rails. I could already tell. <laughs> but I'm going to introduce you to some really beautiful people who also happen to be actors that, you know, um, you can see on the television screens and the movie screens. I'm going to start with Marquis Richardson. How are you? Hello. Okay. What is that voice? It's is my, that your... Uh, it's my morning radio voice. That's like a... It's like a Maya Angelou meets um, somebody. I'm not even sure. Meets... Uh, somebody male. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meets, meets, meets like me. Yeah. a pack of cigarettes or something. I'm not sure. Cigarweed. I understand. And Marquis, obviously, like, we know each other from Dear White People, but you are in a bunch of stuff. I almost kind of... Look, this is not even a credit show. We're not here to plug. 
But if you ever want to, if you want to holler, talk about a certain thing, that yeah. we can absolutely talk about it. Okay. I'm also here with the fabulous uh, Calais. <laughs> hey, <laughs> get the star. Who, who, I, who we had to have a cover because I was like, I want to call you Calais, right? But it's Calais. It's Calais. Okay, let me do an. Oh, I feel very Oprah today. Oh, okay? I, can I, feel, I be the Gail? Yes, okay. I feel. Well, I feel I'll be the her, tree. You the can be. Tree. You can be the tree that that yeah. sits behind her often. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like you know, what are our intentions? Guys, like I want to ask you about your lives, like how you got into this this business called show. I want to talk to you about what we all saw last night, wow. uh, the Whitney documentary, which I think is very powerful and continues to move me. Um, but I, I, what did you come here with? Like, what's going? I walked into the middle of a very delicious conversation. So <laughs> I'm just curious of what's on your guys' mind. You know. Wow. Uh, I came in here with the intention to be um, just to be open and mm. to learn more. It's so interesting because we've known each other for years, but not really like known mm-hmm, the nuances of mm-hmm. each other. So I came in here to be like, I want to be known by mm. you. I want to be known by Marquis. Like, you know, I haven't worked with you specifically, Justin. Yeah. Yet, but I have actually worked with him. We yeah. did a pilot together years ago. Uh, years ago, but yeah. um, but still, like you know, there's always there's still like a you know a surface to to certain things. So I came here to like know y'all. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Because I feel like we're in, I feel like we're in the same solar system, right? But our orbit patterns aren't always. At the same, like you know, we yeah. you're right. We never had a chance to like sit down and like get to know. But obviously, like friends from afar. Now, for people who don't know, um, you know, these are actors. Caution. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what an actor is. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but let me see. I'm just going through uh, our list of our latest credits, guys. Um, you know, so you you know Marquis from I don't know what you've been in. Um, yeah, me just kidding. Either. Well, I know you as Reggie from Dear White People. Uh, you've done a bunch of yeah. movies. Uh, Stepsisters is a yeah. recent one that was pretty huge. On that. I mean, too. it was a huge movie on Netflix. Yeah, oddly uh, enough. Written by Chuck Hayward, who is a writer on Dear White I mean, it's very incestuous. It's a Black Hollywood thing. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck Hayward wrote it, who's a writer on Dear White People. And Clay, uh, you know her from Hunter Gatherer. You know her from Guess Who. <laughs> you know her from the internet. You know her from Instagram. You know her from like everybody's shows because she's always <laughs> up on somebody's show. There's like, there are like times when I'm literally like, wait, really? <laughs> she this as well? I just show up. Yeah. It's always a treat, though. It's always a welcome surprise, mind you. Why? Thanks. Um, so what, you know what, I, I just asked you, like, where do you guys want to start? And then I started talking. Marquis, <laughs> what were your intentions when you came here today? Yeah, to be honest, it was really to be honest and uh, be authentic and just like Kalei said, to dive into uh, each other, you know, oh. a super soul Saturday. Well, listen, some of this, they of may not be able to catch on the microphones, but I mean, we're going to do it. It's fine. Um, oh. Okay, I heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's get into it. Why? Why did you? Why the hell did you choose this profession? Like, what is wrong with us <laughs> that we decided to be a part of the entertainment industrial complex? It chose me. Yeah, I will definitely say it chose me. Just like every person, we all have a complicated upbringing to a certain extent, no mm-hmm. matter how great it might be. But I grew up in Pennsylvania one of two black families in an all-white neighborhood. 
And um, my parents are from West Philadelphia, born and raised. Yes, playground. (laughs) And it wasn't so great. So Mm. they moved us to the suburbs because they wanted to make sure that we were like, safe mm. you know yeah the fresh prince story the fresh hey. prince story being yeah. and and so but my mother never actually furnished our living room and it had those mirrors on one wall whoa and yeah we yeah that house was like bought in the 70s where like you know the mirrors were on the wall with like the the ornate yeah. like gold uh-huh. buttons yeah. to hold them yeah. up and so when i was a young kid and stuff would happen to me when i was four or five and i'd throw a temper tantrum my mother would put me in that room that mm. wasn't furnished the glass the glass hey, yeah the, yeah exactly and your so autobiography would say, has it's already has amazing titles it's i don't amazing. know what's in it yet just, it's actually called i actually am starting it it's called my life wow. without panties oh, so a whole hey. another podcast well that's brilliant <laughs> Thank I you. do want to read yeah. the glass cage though. Yeah, okay, the glass I'll get into that. Come on, Maya. But she put me in this room, and so she would say, "You can throw your temper tantrum in there, mm-hmm. but when mommy oh. comes back in here, it's over." Because you know, a black mother, she don't say much. Yeah. It's like wow. that look, and it would be like it's over. Yeah. And so I would say, "Okay." So things would be happening, and I would always be put in this room to throw the temper tantrum. And eventually, I just got tired of screaming and yelling at myself in the mirror. So mm. I would start to talk to myself. Wow. And before I knew it, I was doing monologues to myself. And then I was singing to myself and I'm doing shows. So my mother would then intentionally Give put me in, in this room, room wow. because she started to see that I was developing this journey. Mm-hmm. And she didn't know what it was, but she just wanted to be able to facilitate it. That is beautiful. And that is where it started. And when I tell you my mother never furnished that room until I left for college. Well, honey, you did. To SUNY Purchase to be an actress. Yes, SUNY. And then she put furniture in it. That was my studio. Wow. I did little movies in that room. Do you know how special that is? It's pretty amazing. I mean, the thing is, like, because I feel like sometimes the instinct is to, if there's something that your child is doing that might, you know, harm their chances of being seen as normal or having Safe. the things that you understand to be success, um, the the inclination is to stamp it out. Mm-hmm. Especially for us because there's really, I think, you know, the generation just above us, the generation that raised us, there was very little room for error mm-hmm. in American society. I mean, you really had to get out there and hustle to get what you deserve and don't do too much because that could ruin your chances of just getting that little coin purse that you have to have to get through life. So the instinct mm-hmm. sometimes is to is to say, you know, what are you doing in there? Right. You know, and it's so beautiful that your mom allowed you in there, allowed you that space. And still does it to this day because when I'm disappointed if I don't get a job or something goes wrong she'll say okay like that happens on a Monday she'll say you have until Wednesday to be pissed about this to be upset about this to to curse about this Mm -hmm. but by Wednesday you gotta let it go Mm -hmm. and I said to her this is what you did to me as a child and Mm -hmm. she said well I don't believe in not expressing your grief and your anger and your disappointment Mm -hmm. when people tell children like that's enough they're not done though Mm -hmm. they have to express that so I mean I found it in that room but my mother was really the cat that facilitated me becoming an actress and a writer. Mm. And what I was telling Marquis was that my I wrote a poem when I was 15 about this dude eating a pork chop on a New York City subway. Uh-huh. Same. Pork chop. Wow. Insane. I wrote the yeah. same did poem. You? Is I it, did you? Was it called Pork Chop? It, you know what I called it? Um, oh. I called it lamb chop. Lamb chop. <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't know my meats at you the time. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> Hysterical. But my mother kept this thing, uh-huh. and to me, it was trash. But to yeah. her, it was like wow. gold. Wow. And so, cut to 
20 plus years later, I'm going through a bad acting moment. Mm. And I decide to download Final Draft with my broken computer with mm. that has a frayed cord that possibly <laughs> could cause an electrical fire. Yeah. And I wrote this script and sold it to Fox. And then my mother was like... I told you since this damn pork chop. Wow. I've been telling you since that the pork chop. That is such a beautiful mm-hmm. and unusually Unusual. rare story. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, though. Yeah. Man. I mean, I had a, I didn't have a glass room, but I had my room. Mm-hmm. I was an only child, and so I remember a sort of... I would always do radio shows. That was ironically. <laughs> we are um, but I would. Damn. I was like, we would always have, sometimes my cousin Dominic, who's a musician now, and then my cousin Lee, we would turn on the like the recorder and just do these like skits and do these like little radio plays. And then like when it was just me, I would like sing off key to various <laughs> songs and, <laughs> and sort of introduce them as new singles. It's crazy. And if my mom had, you know, I think my mom later had concerns about, you know, whether or not an industry or sorry, the entertainment industry was the place for her son to make money or be successful. But in the early days there was never there was never any kind of like attempt to stop it or censor it, even mm-hmm. though I, I know it got on people's nerves because <laughs> child, I started when I found out about uh, the uh, Pippi Longstockings movie, <laughs> I was obsessed. <laughs> A little girl that could like fly yes, and I like mean. the musicals broke out. I I was obsessed and I would sit in. I have the tapes, y'all. Where I would wow. at the top of my lawn. Pippi Longstockings. I don't know what Doctor Sim- Anna Simeon was. T- Telling herself at that time period. Oh, Dr. Anna Dr. Dr. Anna Quimit. Okay? I don't know what she was, but she was like, let me just let him have his moment. Two more minutes to sing this damn song. Uh, Marquise. What a gift, though. What a gift. Well, it turned out to be one. I don't know. I listened to the tapes myself. I'm I'm a little like, I don't know if I would have let. Little Justin, no, continue. Like <laughs> for her to give you that space to like just right. be free and to just be in your in yourself, yes. whatever, like fully self-expressed, whatever that, whatever that is, whatever that. Because because sometimes yeah. it comes from pain, yeah, and sometimes it comes from repression, yeah. but more often it comes from freedom. It comes from yeah. space, yeah. and these people who are so in pain, you know, these um, we're gonna go into this because we saw Whitney, but. Artists that bring so many gifts to the world out of their pain, it's really because they're looking for space. Right. And it's, it's you know, I think we, black folks, have less time, yeah. you know, on the whole because we're, we're already taught to build our little proxy cells from the moment we can speak. Mm-hmm. Marquis, tell me about your beginning in this and how it found you or how you found it. Well, I was born by a river. Yes, in, river. Uh, <laughs> born by an ocean in uh, San Diego. So my parents got me involved in acting when I was four. Mm. So they would drive up from San Diego to Los Angeles for auditions. And at, wow. yeah, at and that they got time, you involved. Yeah. Why? Yeah, there was I have no idea. Because he was a cute kid. I had Aww. a big ass head, had headshots. There was a thing in the in the day called there was a book called Faces. Yeah. Where you it had all these actors from different sizes, shapes, whatever, and managers and agents would look through this book and just pick out a talent who they wanted mm-hmm. to work with. Mm-hmm. So a manager picked out my face because of the head, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we started going on auditions, and I just used to book um, commercials, just he TV just commercials, booking, just right? booking so, commercials. So you know, some of us started um, doing, <laughs> little, doing little stories in the mirror, yeah. and singing Pippi Longstocking. Exactly. Marquis' career began with booking. <laughs> booking. Well, <laughs> I mean, it was money, but several <laughs> s- several rabbit trails off. <laughs> 
It I love it. We in the mirror. Child needs space. Mark, you ever heard? Mm-hmm. Sometimes so, a child needs work. What <laughs> this child needed was booking money. He got it. Yeah. But it look. So we did that, and we came. We came up, and I quit. So I moved up to Los Angeles when I was like five or whatever, and quit acting. But I didn't know my parents had moved me up here to pursue this. You were just like, we're in a new city for some reason. Yeah, yeah. We're in Inglewood. I don't get it. I don't like this. I didn't really like it. It was. I was shy. You know, and you know, introverted, and still am debatably. Mm -hmm. Um, You are. Yeah, but I quit. It's fine. It's okay. I think we all. I'm definitely an introvert. Yeah, this this version of me is a version. I'm the first to say. But go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. And so I quit, and then for whatever reason, wanted to start back up again when I was 12. Because I think I just remember getting like playground cred telling people, oh, I used to be in TV. Mm. I'm like, no, you didn't. And then I was like, yes, I did. And then, I had bookings. I had bookings. I was booked. <laughs> <laughs> I was booked and busy. I had checks. You know, it was a thing. And so I started back up again when I was 12, started doing like, I was a video ho. Mm. Um, okay. Music videos, sky's the limit with all the little kids mm-hmm. when they- uh, That's awkward know. to call them video hoes. Video hoes, the children. <laughs> it's not you know? inaccurate in some spaces, but I'm, make, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Me too. It's not even noon yet. It's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Close. Uh, so that, that happened. Uh, still continued to do commercials and all that kind of stuff in high school and throughout whatever, applying for colleges and, you know, helping my family with money. Um, that was an interesting time. Um, but then started booking TV and film my junior year of college. Mm. So I went to USC for business and public policy planning and management. Really? Th- yeah. Thinking that I was going to come out, you know, and be a consultant mm-hmm. for like Deloitte and Touche or something. And because this business was just a hobby for yeah. me. Um, so there was a week when I was a junior in college, I booked two shows, drama and a comedy. It was like Seventh Heaven and Bernie Mac the same week. And um, when I was working on set with Mr. Mac. Bernie. Bernie. Mm-hmm. R.P. Miss him. Miss him. Uh, he rest, y'all. He rest. One of the ancestors now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We, we had a conversation and he was like, where did y'all get this kid? Um, he's phenomenal. Hmm. I looked around <laughs> and I was like, who are you talking about? And he was like, you. And I said, oh, that was the first time where I actually thought, oh, maybe I could continue to to do this. Wow. You know, that was a little nugget for me. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll dive further in into this business or whatever. So graduated, had the opportunity of <laughs> learning Arabic in Egypt for this wow. program. Oh. Probably lead to like some CIA shit, whatever. Wow. Or intern at a management company, um, a talent management company for free, whatever, no money at the huh. time. I did that, chose the internship so I could learn the business. Oh, of we've it. done the same thing. I was, yeah. I used to be an agent in New York. See, yes. yeah, I was a, I was in publicity. Yes. Or, uh, it was like a whole other life. Yeah, yeah. but wow. it, I feel like it gives you such a perspective. Oh, it does. Oh God, it does. You know, yeah. and such a helpful perspective mm-hmm. in terms of the business, in terms of what you need to continue to do, like mm-hmm. to just do what you want. You know, make it. And so that internship led to uh, internship with Will Smith and them. Um, their production company. So. Will Smith and them. Will Smith and them. Who? The, the Smiths and them. I don't know who those. Uh, I'm not familiar. So. No. Yeah, they, you know, mm-hmm. small little family. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there'll be something one day. Uh, I love them, but again, that was like grad school for me, and then just continued to you know dive into this with 
Dear White People and other projects and with you, uh, the pilot that we did. Yeah, what was the name of that pilot? Which which it, name? It, 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 there you go. <laughs> we had a couple. <laughs> the, had a the pilot that didn't see the light of day. The Penis oh. Chronicles. They so, happened. It was called the Penis Chronicles. That was a working title. Yeah. I'm sorry. For it, it was. What was the it was Fox? It was Fox. Oh, so the two. Oh. <laughs> And we okay. did a scene in a bathroom together. Yeah, we did. Yeah. In a stall. In a stall. And you're sure this was a television production <laughs> it was a company television that production when I had. Okay. They, we were it, on the Fox They blood. said it was Fox, but it might have been Fox Tales or something. Okay. Okay. And we both said yes to it. <laughs> yeah, you better say yes. I had an acting <laughs> coach tell me, like, you know, always say yes. And I was like, I don't think you should tell 13 year olds that. But, um,. <clears throat> I mean, that's really amazing because you do have a very weird, otherworldly, in a in a lovely way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quality, I mean, you both have this, but I've worked with you, so I've seen it for myself where you, there's just something that comes out of you. Like you, you that thing when people talk about, oh, I'm a conduit for someone or for something or for this character. I mean, there's like a physical, I see it happening with you. Like you open up and someone steps out. Is that what it feels like to conjure or to, you know, be these characters? Uh, for me, it does. Um, and that is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's, um, it's, it's. I don't know how to describe it. It's just more than um, me, mm. and I'm, I'm aware of that. Like once you're in the flow mm-hmm. of something, whether it be writing or whether it be you know in character or whatever, directing whatever, you know it's not you. It's not you. Now I have a question. I have a question. Yeah. When these, when you feel this opening up to something bigger, does it feel like it's outside of you? Is it other parts of our brains or our personalities that just don't have space in there? Like, what do you think it is? Does it feel spiritual? And this is for both of you. I'm just um, curious. For me, it de- it definitely for me feels spiritual, but mm. it also feels like something that you can't really control or even even really articulate in fully mm-hmm. and i say that because you know the the uh, we learn the craft of acting we learn the skill of acting like we learn you know speech exercises mm-hmm. and and vocal exercises and all that kind of thing but when you it's almost like ingesting food mm-hmm. you know when you ingest the language the spirit the world the intentions the nuances and complications of something that's on a page and it then mutates because you have because you artistically are able to allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to dismiss your own judgment point mm. of view and life that proxy to, self yeah, yeah that proxy yeah. self to actually facilitate a space for not just the character to come through but for unexpected revelations to happen Mm -hmm. through the character. Mm -hmm. You know, I always feel like if I'm, you know, and it's one of the things that I actually learned, again, I'll bring up my mom, when I did Guess Who with the incomparable Bernie Mac, Mm -hmm. who was, who facilitated me getting that job, Mm -hmm. actually, to be honest. But my mother came onto the set, and it was a comedy, obviously, and I had 
been trained in drama. I had some tragedies in my life, so I was always able to cry mm-hmm. on cue. Because mm-hmm. um, it was about recall for you then. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. about recall for me mm-hmm. then versus it being an authentic mm-hmm. exploration of something new happening in every moment. Being present being as opposed present. to like pulling from something exactly. in the past. Okay, I get that. And so the, my best act, acting teacher being my mother. So she's on set. She's at Video Village sitting next to Kevin Sullivan who directed it. And it was my character's opening scene. And I come in and I say, oh my God, are we being audited? Mm-hmm. And they laughed every time I did the scene. Mm-hmm. And it's Bernie, Ashton Kutcher, Zoe Saldana all in it. So we're on like the third take. They laugh at the exact same places. And I'm just hitting the yeah. exact same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. My mother says, why are y'all laughing? First of all, I'm obsessed. <laughs> Go on. She keeps doing it the same every single time. Change it up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who is this character? Who are you? And my mother is standing next to Sony Pictures, mm. the director, an iconic comedian. And this is my first movie. When they said, like, get on your mark, I didn't know what a mark meant. Wow. All those colorful tapes on the floor. I was like, well, which one is my color? Nobody yeah. told me my color. Yeah. I didn't know where I was. My mother got up, came in there, and said, you ain't doing this. Mm. Wow. What you're not going to do is just repeat yourself just because you know where the laugh is. Because you're not, not in the moment when you're you are not do in that. the moment. You're, you're in the performance. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And in that embarrassing, colossal, embarrassing moment, I learned how to really be. Mm. I won't even say be an actor. I learned that in school. Mm -hmm. I learned how to be. Because there is a craft to it. Yes, there is. But there also is a, there's another thing that you can't learn. You have to either be snapped into it or have access to it, but it's the ability to be present to whatever is happening in that moment. And, you know, I, you know, I, I studied acting as a kid and, you know, I'm really grateful that I get to sort of use all that I learned as a director because when you said vulnerable, to me, like, there is very few things more vulnerable to me in this industry than an actor, mm-hmm. um, especially an actor that doesn't write or an actor that doesn't produce. And that's not any shade. That may not be someone's calling to do all those things. But I worry for those people because you really are at the mercy. I mean, you you kind of have to go out into the industry Almost like a piece of cattle or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. and, and hope that whatever it is that you're bringing to the table is what someone wants. And, and I mean, it, the most I have the most fun in auditions, but it's also heartbreaking because I always end up with a plate full of talent. People that like are giving me so many interesting things and I can't use them all. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they did a bad job. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just because they didn't fit the vision of the story that I particularly have at this moment, which is so can be arbitrary to the actor. Um, but to go through the rejections and mm-hmm. the acceptance, but then someone trying to change you, and then you have a bad experience, but then you have a good one. It it, it strikes me as one of the most vulnerable things to do. And you know, some people respond to vulnerability um, with drugs or mm-hmm. other things to sort of cover up that little special thing and keep mm-hmm. it safe. And some people respond by leaning into it and going, you know what, life is, I'm going to embrace the mystery of life. And I don't know how to do that at that level. I, I really have a lot of awe and respect for both of you, not just because you're really talented, but because you're able to live a life and make a life out of this thing. Like, mm-hmm. when did you learn how to do that? <laughs> when did your mama teach you that? Because <laughs> I, I, let me tell you something. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you are doing it, though. I think, like, as an artist or whatever, the you know, just living your life and being true and being vulnerable and leaning into that is what continues to make us greater 
as people mm-hmm. first, and then that I think transmutes into the work. On the newest episode of Nocturne, KCRW's podcast about the night. Can you hear that? Can you hear the hum? I woke her up and I said to the wife, can you hear this noise? And she's like, what noise? And she couldn't hear it. It's like a truck engine idling. And when you open the door to see that truck, it's not there. All over the world, people are kept awake by a low-frequency sound with no explanation. That's on the latest Nocturne, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, if you don't know, you should really, really find out all about it. The new documentary, Whitney, by Kevin McDonald, has hit theaters. It is, of course, about Whitney Houston, and it has got me and just about everyone I know who's seen it all up in our feelings about this woman who has meant so much to a lot of us and who we really didn't know as well as this movie allows us to. And uh, we really, really get into it. You know, I'm so I'm I'm having a mo- I'm having a menstruacy moment, and this this is these are not related topics, but this is me gearing up to segue <laughs> into Whitney. Whitney. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm really into menstruacy right now. Like I'm really like I, I've been reading Tom's Bucks, Coons and Mammies, that book uh, by uh, Donald Bogle, and um, I think part of it's because. There's a connection to that tradition that I – there's just something in me that needs to learn more about it. And what I find so profound is that entertainment has always been one of the very few areas where white people were interested in black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we were slaves, the only – the sort of black people showed up in the popular culture through minstrelsy. At first, white performers playing these very, very strict – Caricatures. I mean, there, it really was like mammies, mm-hmm. toms, mm-hmm. coons, mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah. You know, and and the buck, right. <laughs> which is you know the idea of the buck is the, is this kind of um, it's a black man that has a you know insatiable sexuality, is a tough guy, gets into trouble. Even that wasn't that 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 had to wait to like we you saw Bucks in in sort of you know um, the D W Griffith movie uh, Birth of a Nation mm-hmm. and it was so outrageous even to the even within the little black power that black people had uh, at the time that you didn't see Bucks for a while after that movie mm-hmm. um, but I just it was the only way we could get in and right. so those first. Black minstrel performance, performances at the time felt so revolutionary because to us we're still we're watching that stuff and we're like they're just playing the game. Uh-huh. Right, right, How right. dare they? Mm-hmm. You know that's the indignation one would feel. But at the time, black audiences were like, oh, thank God, there's like mm-hmm. a human in there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's still a it's still a coon, right? But at least there are th- there are flavors in there that look like life. Yes, mm-hmm. and I'm just really interested in in our as a people, our sort of like us using entertainment almost like a trojan horse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to bring ourselves into the culture i mean do you think about that do you think about where you sit 
uh, in relation to all of that? Because it all has echoes. We all Absolutely. still have Tom's Coons books. And maybe they look very different. Mm-hmm. And they are sometimes written in dazzling ways and have really beautiful cover-ups. But those those caricatures are very much in our culture. Mm-hmm. Do you think about that stuff? Like, how does yeah. that hit you? Like, how does that affect you? I mean, I, I think about it all the time. I mean, that's why I say no to like 90% of the stuff mm. that comes my way. One, because I'm not passionate about it. Two, um, especially after doing a show and, you know, movie and the show, Dear White People, et cetera, you can't, I can't speak for everybody, but I cannot, there's just things I, can, I won't do mm. anymore after doing something like this mm-hmm. because there's an awareness now, there's a consciousness now, and there's a, a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. that I have in terms of, you know, the uh, the image mm-hmm. that uh, I put out there. In terms what, of what do you think you would have done if, for whatever reason, yeah. we're exactly the same that we are now, but it's 1930? <laughs> I would have been. Would you be a coal miner? Would you be like, I'm out? Or like, would you, like, is is this thing, is there still something here for us if we're in 1930 and we're the same people, we have the same goals and, and, you know, I sit down and I dream of of movies that I'll never be able to make and you dream of roles that you'll never be able to play. Do we still play this game? I'm curious. What do you think? Mm. Kalei? I, that's a very hard question to ask, and, and I say that because it's a brilliant question. Mm. I say that because I don't think that I would be who I am if I didn't go, if I actually didn't play the game. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have the awareness that I have, or I would be hashtag woke, mm. unless I was hashtag sleep mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't say that I came here knowing you know, exactly how to fight the stereotypes that I was put into. I had to be put into them mm-hmm. in order to feel to a feel certain it. way about it yep. and then to get out of it. You know, one of the things I was telling Marquis um, before we were sitting down at this table was that, um, you know, I went my the first show I did was called My Boys, and I actually turned it down three times because I felt the character was, you know, the typical black best friend. Mm-hmm. And... But then every time they came back, they had a bigger financial offer. So then I was like, oh, so God, what you're trying to say is go ahead and take this money. Go ahead and take this money (laughs) and do what you got to do. And I did. And it went on four or five seasons. And then you were amazing. And then thank you. And then um, I was, but I was unhappy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was uncomfortable. See. And I remember even getting a script that I wouldn't even say at the table read and going to the executive wow. producer and the creator, who I still love to this day, and telling her that um, this particular script and what it's saying about black people I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say it even at the table read in front of the studio or the network. And the sadder thing is it was written by the only black actor that was on our staff at the time. And did they did they hear that and rewrite or what happened? They did. Now, she instantly apologized and instantly said, don't explain any further. Mm. I will rewrite this myself. And I said, well, why can't we just as, uh, you know, it was basically that um, the white girl was hooking me up with a, with a black guy mm-hmm. and he went for her instead of me. Mm. And there was a line in there where I say, you know, you know how hard it is to find a black guy like Ahmad? I still what? remember the line. Mm. And once you insert the race, you're basically saying it's hard to find good black men. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that mm-hmm. at a table read. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. rehearsal. I'm not saying that when the camera rolls. Mm-hmm. And so um, she was mortified mm. that it got past her. And I said, let's just have an actual conversation where I ask her, well, have you ever dated a black dude? Mm. Would you ever date a black? Well, why not? 
mm-hmm. you know, let us have the uncomfortable conversation that I'm having with you right now. Right. And it was written that way, mm-hmm. and we were able to have that. Um, but it wasn't always well-received by the cast mm-hmm. completely. Some people got it. Some people didn't care. Some people didn't whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the only black girl on the show. Mm-hmm. And then I became the only black girl on a lot of shows yep. after that. Mm-hmm. And so to because your, you, to your because point. Because you proved that you could handle that particular mantle. And, right. the, and the industry always wants more okay. from us of that you've shown that you were. I mean, that's, this is true of the industry in general, but really right. true for us. Exactly. That if you s- tell them that you're good at a thing, they're like, okay, great. Well, here's more pie. Right, here's more pie. <laughs> Even more pie. But then you're still feeling like shit, eating the pie. You're like, mm-hmm. this pie is making me sick, though. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it got to the point where I would say the no. But I had to say yes before I understood what the no what the no would mean mm-hmm. and what I would have to do in order to switch that no into my yes. Yep. And so then I wrote the show Black Best Friend, BBF, which mm-hmm. I would have never been able to write had I not gone through that experience. So to your question, you know, who would I be? I wouldn't be able to be... You know, even though I sold the show, it didn't move forward in, in a pilot at Fox, but, you know, it still could have a life. I wouldn't even know how to create that that narrative mm-hmm. of, because in the show, I hijacked the camera from the white girl. I'm basically a glorified extra in the cold opening. And I literally take the camera to say, you know. You're going to pay attention to me You're going to pay attention to me now and to, to go into the nuances of my life. And so I wouldn't be able to have that. I wouldn't be a writer today had I not said a yes to a stereotypical thing that made me so uncomfortable that I have to say, hell no. You have something to write about. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's beautiful because that's a beautiful story. And and it's, I think it's a lesson for other actors, other performers who find themselves in in positions that are uncomfortable. Because the truth is, is like we are in a very unique time in our Mm -hmm. culture where we might be able to use that uncomfortableness Mm -hmm. and turn it into something. We have to use that uncomfortableness and turn it into something because when we don't, that uncomfortableness turns on us. And, you know, and speaking of the uncomfortableness turning on us, segue, you know, we just saw Whitney, the new documentary that is, I think, really amazing, kind of blows the roof of any other so far portrayal of her life. And what's so powerful about it is that it really, it it had a lot of access to footage and behind the scenes moments, you know, just her friends just videotaping each other. So you see the real, real, you hear that voice in, in spaces that you'd never heard it in before. I mean, you, you hear the voice before it was so-called polished and ready for prime time. You hear it after. And, you know, there are lessons that Whitney had to walk through that she was the first to walk through. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't, a happy ending because no one had done it, but we had to all watch Whitney go through it before we could have those experiences in our lives and go, "Mm, I'm going to make a different choice. Because at the time, Mm -hmm. she was just making the best choices that anyone probably would make at that time. What she knew to do. So talk to me about how that movie hit you, because I I can talk forever about how it hit me, but, (laughs) you know, Marquis, I'll kind of turn to you. You know, Kalei was just talking about that thing that turns inward, mm-hmm. which is what I kind of took away. But what did you, what, what what were you picking up that that movie was putting down? Man, um, what a case study, mm-hmm. I feel like. And I feel, I feel weird even saying that, you know, the, the term case study, because at the end of the day, this was a human mm-hmm. that I feel, you know, we're all responsible for our own journeys and whatnot, but it didn't seem like anybody was really there to take care of her um and with the family and whatnot they were just doing what they knew 
how to do. Yeah. You know? Every, that's the thing about right. the movie is everyone is doing their best. what right. they consider to be their best. Right. And we can judge them now, but, but we, we, have, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of knowing what, you know, happens to you when you start doing a lot of coke. Yeah. And at the time, people didn't know. drinking coffee. But I feel like we, we can't judge them mm-hmm. because we we still yeah that documentary presented you know another view that blew the top off of my head but we still have no idea what part blew you like what part surprised you the most God. i would say the thing i mean this is, it might be kind of weird but just the idea that her and like michael jackson could be in a room oh my god and that not moment. say anything that moment. because they got it that moment I get that, and I'm not 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 even close to that level. But like, wow! There are just some things that the two of those people alone yeah. knew mm-hmm. that no one else knew. Nobody. Probably no, we won't we won't we know won't ever because you know even when we talk about like Beyonce or somebody, yeah. she now listen, she struggled and worked very hard to mm-hmm. get where she is, but she never was the first like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was I, I was watching the Elvis documentary and he was the first American pop star at that level. So he went through things for a first time and made mistakes. But like it was like Michael and Whitney are the next generation. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there's not like that they're the second one through the gone. Like it's yeah. not it doesn't. We don't know what happens yet right. to people. Like no one knew what happened to people who became this famous, right? But even like where she came from, just mm. the 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 dynamic, the complete, just the beginnings of her life in Newark, and, yeah. Newark, mm. like Newark. the riots and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. where she went and what she meant for Black people, for Americans, for the world, like and that double consciousness is just. It's crazy. The double, I mean, because we all, I think why everyone was so surprised, you know, when she married Bobby Brown is because we only knew of one of her consciousnesses. She was taught so young that in order to succeed, you have to basically create a white, friendly version of yourself, which she did. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, some of what the documentary explores as well, and this is in her own words, is the trouble sort of knowing the difference between those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how could you, when you start to do it at such a young age, Mm -hmm. you know, like I I think about this time all the time, like I taught, you know, I remember going back, you know, I went to a mostly white school and grew up in a black neighborhood. And so I either talked too white or I was too black. And um, you try to, that stuff's happening so early. I, I, I know I created versions of myself at three and four and five years old that I think an average three or four, four or five year old wouldn't know to do or mm-hmm. wouldn't think they would have to do. And you certainly see Whitney's battle mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, the the survival mechanism. Yes, it is survival. You know, it is survival. Like I want to, she wants to survive her childhood, and yeah. so you have to do because the the revelations in the movie that explain the things that happened to her in her childhood i mean everybody has to see this yeah. Yeah. um the revelations in that you know i identify with mm-hmm. and i will say that you do create whatever personality you need to do to survive something when your brain mm-hmm. has not yet developed to the point where you can put logic yes. on an emotion. Because children yeah. don't have that kind of logic. We don't right. have that kind of logic. We, don't, we haven't right. learned the ways of this world yet. No. So we don't know why adults do the things they do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you survive by escapism, mm-hmm. by your imagination. That's the only way. And I, and I almost think it's like, 
I, I don't know too much about psychology or how our minds, our brains works, but I almost think it is our body's way. The same way you can cut yourself and bleed and the yeah. skin will get back together yeah. and heal. I almost think it's our, our mind's way of getting us through that moment so, is that escapism. And, and so to see that transfer into her adult career life, because the scene where she's sitting there saying, you know, Whitney's calling Nippy, but Nippy's not answering, but mm. Nippy can call Whitney and Whitney will answer. But that can't to call me, Nippy. But, right. but Whitney can't call Nippy. Ooh, and her yeah. self-awareness, cons- all, considering everything, she had a self-awareness of what was happening. I think that's the thing that people don't realize. Mm-hmm. It's not that they can't. They, it's not that they they're they're they, they're making terrible decisions, yeah. right? Like yeah. she's self aware enough to know what's going on. Right. She just doesn't physically; her body doesn't know what else to do. So yeah. you self medicate, yeah. Right. Right. You know, you self medicate. You find a way, and everybody's medicine can be different. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and some medicines are. Um, you know, deemed okay by the society right. that you grew up in, and some are not. You know, mm-hmm. alcohol sort of, you know, famously has been deemed okay mm-hmm. as a way to self medicate for so long that, you know, I think now that cannabis is sort of in, coming into the culture, people are realizing, like, oh, maybe alcohol isn't so right <laughs> for the self medication. Yeah, exactly. You know, because <laughs> yeah. it can lead to violence. And, and addi- I believe that you can be addicted to anything, but. Yeah. Uh, the addiction to alcohol, just like hair, like there are different outcomes. Yeah. Right. Physical. You know, are you addicted to exercise? Well, the outcome might be, you know, well, right. F, fuck you. Okay? <laughs> right. You know, you look fantastic. Right. Um, you know, if you're addicted to, you know, conversation or whatever, right. if you're addicted to weed, if you're addicted right. to food, it's different. It's, it's different, different than when you're addicted to like cocaine. Yeah. Right. And like you said, and to your point, right. at that time, they didn't know. They there didn't wasn't know. an expected end mm-hmm. of what that addiction would really, really do. And also, yeah. no, now there we was, have. There was no blueprint for Whitney Houston. There you go. Because mm-hmm. even Michael and Whitney, they were walking through doors that nobody even knew existed, right. let alone could be opened by anybody, black right. people or otherwise. Right. Uh, well, the other piece of it that really messed me up is this idea of pathology mm-hmm. and the stuff that has been with our families for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, things happened in Whitney's childhood that I can only imagine yeah. happened in the childhood of people older than her and her family. This is a, we have black people, everybody, but black people have secret legacies that we pass on from generation to generation. I don't know. There's something about that that's so tragic because you can't really stop things like that without having a really serious moment in your life. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? No, absolutely. Um, And I don't know why that just made me think of, throughout the entire film, nobody ever talked about uh, self-care or therapy or, mm-hmm. like, just the conversations that, um, you know, could have had. Nobody talked about mm-hmm. the stuff. Really. I mean, it, it felt too late. Yeah. It, it was too late. It felt yeah. too late. It was too late. And how, do you being, how do you tell somebody, once they, here's the thing, fame is like a, you know, and I, I, I kind of hope I never know or am close to that kind. Not not even for me personally, but just in people in my life, because mm-hmm. it feels really scary to me. Absolutely. Um, but fame does something where it just freezes. It's so exciting and traumatic that I think it just arrests your personality exactly where it is yeah. when it hits you. And so, because yep. you don't have time to self-reflect when right. every scrap of self-reflection is public, right. whether it hits you at 11, like it did Michael, or it hits you at 18, like it did Whitney, I think you 
you you just gotta be hope that you had enough right. mm-hmm. by, then. by then to mm. survive it. And I don't think either of those people, very special people, had enough right. um, How could they? understanding of themselves to survive the level of fame that they reached. Mm-hmm. Whitney was a very, very wise and savvy 18-year-old, yeah. but is that enough to survive that level of attention and to have the entirety of the black community rest their hopes and fears on you? Yes. <laughs> my rest, my hopes and fears rested on those two people growing up. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know about you, but completely. I... Completely. Yeah. I, I yeah. cried when I went to the Michael Jackson concert yeah. and they said it was too much rain and it was going to be an electrical <laughs> fire and my mother had to take me back home oh, with I'm my white glove on. Oh, no. I had the white glove. <gasps> I had the red jacket. That is I was tragedy. All the way. It was tragedy. I, I mean, I oh tore God, up that car no. on the way home. I was like, God, what? <laughs> Would you do this to me? My mother was like, Oh, oh yes, honey. And we were far in the back. I'm devastated for devastated, you. Devastated. I didn't devastated. even make it to the concert. I, I didn't I even made make it. it all the way. I remember and they canceled. We waited an hour and a half in the Damn. rain at the concert. Wow. And they were like, Folks, he's not coming. Oh, on. no. <laughs> and you would have thought my whole life was over. Not it was. folks. Yeah. Not folks. Yeah. How dare yeah. they come yeah. out and say folks? <laughs> and my mother was just like, you better I don't send know. out Tito. Disneyland somebody. wasn't going to fix it. Like, nothing oh. was going to fix it. Oh, you was in, or yeah. you were in. Oh, oh no, I was in Philly. Okay, my mother okay. was like, well, I'm going to take you to Disneyland. I'm okay. going to do, you know. You're like, no. I'm going to take I don't, you to Captain Neo's not going to I was like, it's, it's not, not going to work. Bomb. This was Michael Jackson. I had my glove. Like, it wasn't. Wow. But you do. You put all your hopes and fears into them. They're I. They're iconic. Yeah, I remember yeah, defending yeah, Michael yeah. Jackson like I was his attorney, okay, in 1992 <laughs> or whatever. I meant that it. I was about 10 years old fighting kids on the schoolyard. Like, no, he turned into a robot in Moonwalker, okay? He's the king of pop. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I was having these conversations. Yes. Uh, yes. But, and, and, you know, the thing about it, Suze, I feel so, I feel implicit. Because we didn't know yeah. what we were doing, we were cons- the thing that's so great about the documentary is it mashes up moments of her life with um, moments from the culture, be it like you know things that the presidents are saying or wars that are on TV or commercials that were popular, and it it you realize that this life that is happening is happening because we all just want to consume it up like popcorn and like Pepsi. Mm-hmm. And we had no idea. I, I, none of us could know when we were laughing at the SNL sketches. Right. Yeah. TV, you know, which I, I, uh, you know, Phil Lamar's impersonation of Michael in particular is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like you know, Maya's Whitney. I mean, those are they're really funny. But boy, there was a life under that yeah. that we. I don't think any of us understood the severity of what that those that laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, was kind of doing to them. Mm-hmm. So on and that it was, note, and I had a talk about I had a talk with Rel after and about to your point earlier yeah. about um like Lorel, it being a case study. Uh, Lil Rel, yeah, actor, yeah. actor, Lil Rel. Um, screens large and small, <laughs> but exactly. But to the case of you, you, you calling it like you know, it's um almost like a case study yeah. that we do need to take care of each other. Yeah. You know, yes. because now and protect what, each and other. protect each other because what we can do for our icons that open those doors and pave those ways and that swallowed up our hopes and fears is after you see a documentary like this and you realize what you didn't know behind the veil of it all is to be a responsible friend. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
responsible brother, sister, husband, wife, whatever you need to be, because that is, it's a cautionary tale Absolutely. that you might not be able to completely eradicate. Yeah. Um, well, it's also, for me, it's like when I meet a Calais or I meet a Marquis, like it's not just about co- doing cool stuff with each other. It's also about taking time to pour into each other, to right. listen to each other, because it is, it is tricky. And, you know, listen, it's not a black and white thing. Yeah. But I will say for black artists, because we are still occupying a space smaller than one that would represent parity for us in this country or in this world, we don't have the systems and the structures that I think white performers have because they've been at it for longer. Right. And there are these legacies. There are these funds. Right. You know, there are people who are basically like grandmothers and godmothers and godfathers in this world. And there's so many of them. And for us, we have a few. Yeah. But, you know, it, not enough to reach everybody. So it's important, you know, I think I've always felt that when I encounter really special people, not only to try to make work that allows them to give something beautiful, um, but also to, like, let's chat afterwards. Mm-hmm. Let's, are you cool? Like, yeah. are we all cool? Are Everyone's right? cool. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. cool, right? Okay. Because yeah. yeah. they didn't have that, man. Yeah. They yeah. just had each other. Yeah. Um, Michael and Whitney at the end. Yeah. And sitting in a room not having to say Anything. anything. Do you guys got anything controversial that's been on your mind this week? (laughs) I wait your thing pieces. Uh, America. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. I don't have anything that I've been thinking. I try to stay out, not necessarily stay out of the controversy. My mind is on a whole bunch of other things. But Mm -hmm. I remember I got in trouble once, air quotes around trouble, because I posted something on Instagram, copy and and pasted something about, um, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce, they chose each other, and mm. Kanye and Kim, they chose each oh, other. Choose right. wisely. And then, right, 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 right. Yes. You know, people were like, you can't blame it on the woman. You can't do da 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 That's not what I was saying. It was uh, a, also was a, it was a joke. It I mean, was a joke. But I get it. It, it, it was a joke, but I mean, I I, I don't care. I, <laughs> I, I, <ain't> <laughs> That's I, the thing. I think care. the other thing is like uh, for me on Twitter, I'm like, I don't I mean it like maybe 65%. Yeah, I like, just think it sounds cute. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Part of it is I mean it. Part of it I think it sounds cute. Part of it I'm interested in learning more. Uh, Anyway, what about you, Colette? Uh, Mine is probably – I got in a little trouble once. Um, Don't at me about kneeling for the national anthem. Ooh, that's one to get in trouble. Yes, I did. I did. And I had to go to – What side of it was you on? Well, honey, I kneel all day. Okay, kneel. Kneel all day. Never get Um, up. Right. Never stand again. Kneel on both knees, lay down, Flip over, honey, pound the pavement. Well, I have to say real quick before we end this discussion, the Star Spangled Banner moment for Whitney Houston. Amazing. Very powerful. And I cried again. Mm -hmm, I cried. mm -hmm. The first time I saw it, I cried again because even with my don't at me, I come from a military family. Mm -hmm, So my mm -hmm. father was in the military, my grandfather, all of them. So I understand that they fought. My grandfather didn't even know but to my sing, mother. But mm-hmm. to sing praise, because this, this is what the movie goes at. Yes. We are singing praises to the ramparts I know. and the bombs. 
songs. I know, and the but what the movie instruments said was, of but war. she found the freedom. Yes, right. she found she emphasized the freedom for black people. Exactly. Right. Because the instruments of war are often levied against us. Yes. And that's why it's very complicated to sing a song or to have reverence for a song about the instruments of war, but also a song that is ultimately about freedom. Right. Yeah. But she found that yeah. for us. She 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 showed us where it existed in that song. Where it existed, which is why we can kneel. Or not. Or not. Depending. Yes, should be desire. So, well, listen, yeah. on freedom, I'm going to say thank you. We thank could, you. We could literally continue this conversation okay. all day, but what we're going to do is stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a dream. Thank you guys so much for thank being here. Thank you for here. having yeah, me. I really appreciate thank it. This was dope. We'll do it again. Yes. Okay, I'd like to thank my guests, Marquis Richardson and Kaylee Stewart. Producer Gina Delvac, special thanks to Vishnu Vallabhaneni. Our production engineers, Garrett Lang and Ray Gorna. Head of programming in my boo, Gary Scott. Chris Bowers, of course, created our theme song, and this is Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. Now that the show's done, you can totally at me, think piece me, whatever you want. Just subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave a review for us. I'd love to hear from you. We'll be back next week with another episode of Don't At Me from the one and only KCRW. Support comes from the California Department of Public Health, raising awareness that smoking doubles your risk of getting respiratory infections, including coronavirus. For how to quit now when lung health is crucial, go to tobaccofreeca.com.